community, uh, those here in the auditorium, those joining us online or watching later on or listening in, I am Shannon. I'm the lead pastor here at the Porch Community Church, and we're just so glad, however you're connecting, that you're connecting with us today. We're going to jump right in to um, where we are. We are in week three of this series called The Gospel According to Genesis, and we're going to be in, we're going to start in Genesis 6 today, Genesis 6, so you can go ahead and be turning there. Um, what we've been talking about in this series, why it's called the gospel according to Genesis, is that we see how the gospel, how Genesis, what transpires in Genesis, creates the necessity of the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus Christ came for us, right? That he came, he died, he, he lived, he, he gave up of himself so that we might have new life. We see the necessity of that gospel by looking at Genesis. And then you also, when you get into the gospel and you start reading in the New Testament, you see how Genesis becomes, they, they just intertwine. So we see the gospel according to Genesis. Um, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. And so um, if you haven't already, or if you weren't aware, uh, we started this with this series. Every Sunday morning, the study notes and the scripture from that day's message are on our website. If you go to theporchcc.com, there's a little tab you can click uh, where it says study notes or study guides, sermon notes, and you can click on that, have it, and so that's good for you to um, keep up with, of course, for individual study later, but most importantly, we'd love for you to take it and study it with someone else, so be sure and check that out. So real quick recap before we look and start in Genesis 6. Um, Genesis 1 and 2 are kind of what you would call like the happy chapters because it's when everything happens. Like God spoke it, and then he said, like he spoke it, it happened, and he was like, and it's good. So it was like, spoke, good, spoke, good. Like it all happened, everything was wonderful and great. And then Genesis 3 comes along, and sin enters the picture. Um, the fall of humanity. And God and his image bearers, right, Adam and Eve, suddenly are disconnected because God is holy and now they have sinned and they are not holy. And one of the consequences of that is that they've got to leave the garden. They cannot be in his presence anymore because he is holy and they're not. And not only that, but now they're going to know death um, where before they had life. Everything was great and wonderful. And then once they leave, it just gets kind of worse with every generation. And so this virus of of sin and humanity goes just deeper and deeper and deeper. And so we're going to look today at a story that is so well known. And it begins in Genesis 6. It kind of runs through Genesis 9. And it's the story of a man named Noah and the flood. And what's most amazing, like if you were to ask somebody, if I were to ask you guys, like, hey, what is, what is so amazing about Noah? What is it? You know, and of course, naturally, some people would be like, well, what's really amazing about Noah is that he built an ark. And that is amazing. Like if you go and read all of the details about it, it it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, it's almost like you can't even believe it happened, but it, it's not the most amazing thing, in my opinion, about Noah and the flood. Um, so then you might say, well, okay, the other thing is most amazing is how, you know, all the animals, how they get there, and was it two by two, and all the things, and how they, just all the planning that must have taken, amazing, but not the most amazing thing. You might say it's the flood itself. I wouldn't say that either, even though that's pretty, it never happened before. The most amazing, I would say as believers, this is where we need to go. This is where our mind needs to shift when we think about this story. The most amazing 
almost improbable, seemingly impossible part of the story of Noah and the flood and everything that transpired leading up to it is that God continues to pursue humanity and that he has a divine purpose for humanity even though we keep messing it up so badly. That is the most amazing part of this story. And we're going to see this today is, is, is how this comes out. All right, Genesis 6, starting in verse 5, it says this. Here's your feel-good message for the day, friends. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. <laughs> so the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. And then hear these words. It broke his heart. It broke his heart. And I, and I want to highlight that for a few reasons. See, for some, when they talk about the Bible... For some, when they hear about these very well-known stories in the Bible um, that have to do with God's judgment or God's response to uh, things we've done, you know, sin, a lot of people, their defenses go up. And a lot of people ask questions. And, and I get it, like, you know, those questions like, if God's so good, if God is so loving, what is he doing flooding the earth? Like, what is he doing wiping out all these people? Like, what's going on? What? And, and it troubles people and it bothers people and you kind of get it. But here's where, it, again, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is where we need to go with this. We need to understand that however much it troubles us, however much it bothers us, however much it just doesn't seem right or, or okay that an entire world gets wiped out except for one person and his family, we need to understand it doesn't bother us nearly as much as it bothers God. In verse 6 it says, in some versions it says, God is grieved. He is grieved, where it says uh, it, that the Lord was sorry, as the New Living says. It says he, he was grieved. And in the Hebrew, what that word means, where we, whether it says sorry or grieved, it means deep hurt, it means pain, troubled, sick, and bitter anguish. So this is the feeling that, that God had. This is what weighed upon the Lord. And so hear this, this the, the story of the flood is not about God's anger. It's actually one of God's broken heart. His heart is broken. And I don't know if we truly grasp like the heartache that he feels or, uh, you know, that was and, and how much not only how much we don't grasp the heartbreak, the heartache, but I don't know if we grasp how much greater is his grace. I mean, stop and think about it. Genesis chapter 3, when sin occurs, and now everything has changed, Adam and Eve didn't trust God, they didn't trust his goodness, they didn't trust his ways, they rebelled, they sinned, boom, that could have been it. God could have said, Okay, that was the humanity experiment, and we're done. And that could have been all. I mean, that really, really, that could have been it, but it wasn't. And then we just now read here in chapter 6 where um, it, it, 
God saw every action and every thought is continually evil. And he could have been like, boom, that's it. I'm done. Like, you know, like here's another opportunity and you mess it up again. And why did, because of his great grace for us, because of his great compassion for us. So you see the grief in, in, um, in verse six. Now look at verse seven, same thing. And the Lord, now, but think about it. You can read this passage in one of two ways. You can read this from the viewpoint of an angry God, or you can read this from the viewpoint of a heartbroken God. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. In the word sorry here in verses 6 and 7, it, there it is. It's that deep pain. It's anguish. It's grief. It's not anger and hatred. It's pain and hurt. Now, if you notice in the beginning, God created what did he do? The land, the sea, the stars, the sky, the light, the creatures, human beings. And, and what God is basically doing here in Genesis 6 is he's resetting creation to about day two and a half. This is what he's about to do. Reset. Verses 8 and 9 of Genesis 6. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. A couple of things to note here. Noah found favor with God, like Noah and his family and so God is doing this hard reset, and he keeps Noah as someone who, is, who has found favor. Now, a couple of things about these words. The word favor in verse 8 is also translated into this word. And this is, we, I've already said it many times this morning. It's this word grace. It's not just that God looked down and was like, hey, there's Noah. He's my, he's my favorite. Of all the, like he, I love him more than anybody else in the whole life. Like he's the guy. No, he had the grace of God upon him, and it tells us why he was a righteous man. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that he was better than everybody else? No, that means he obeyed God. He honored God. He had faith in God. He, he did what he believed was his, in his proper response to who God was. And then it says he was blameless. Well, what does that mean? I remember being like a little kid and reading, like I had the picture Bible. I've told you guys about it before. It's like a comic strip version. And I remember reading that and thinking, wow, he's, he's sinless. Like he's never messed up. He is blameless. You can't put blame on this person. It's not what it means. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. Here's what blameless means regarding Noah. When Noah messed up, Noah ran to God instead of from God. When Noah made a mistake, when Noah sinned, when he, when he grieved God because God's holy and, and we're not, what did he do? He ran to God instead of from him. What did Adam and Eve do? They ran from him. The only thing that made Noah righteous, the only thing that made Noah blameless was because he continued to go back to the grace of God. He knew that God was the source of, of this grace. Blameless is not perfect. Trust me. Go and read towards the end of Genesis 9, and you will find that Noah is not a perfect guy. 
He's not. Somewhere after they get to dry land and they'd been on that boat with his, he'd been on the boat with his family for like a year, Noah gets hammered and he ends up naked in his tent and his son finds him and it becomes this whole thing and it's like a Jerry Springer episode and he ends up like calling a curse out on his grandson and generations to come. I mean, it's not good. Noah was not perfect. So there's this, God is perfect. Noah's not perfect. And what did God do? God shows Noah grace. And this is where the New Testament, uh, the book of Hebrews, we see this play out. So we're seeing how Genesis, we see the gospel in Genesis. We see the gen- Genesis coming into the New Testament. In, in chapter 11 of, of Hebrews, it says this in verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before, which was the flood. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world. That doesn't mean that Noah made a hand gesture to the world and then got on his boat and sailed away. It just means that he obeyed, no one else did. Because of his actions, it, he was the only one that was able to, to live into that promise that God had for them. And he received the righteousness that comes by faith. And so in Genesis 6, God tells Noah to go and build the ark, right? Go and build that arky arky. And so he does. He goes and builds it. And then 40 days later, the rains come. And then the floodwaters rise on the earth for about 150 days. And then there's about, oh, another 100 and something days where the, um, they're sending out different kind of birds to see if they come back or what they bring back. All in all, it's about one year that they're on this boat. They finally get to dry land. They finally get to disembark. And the first thing they do, we see it in chapter 8, is they make a sacrifice to God because God has saved them. Like They recognize God. They recognize God's uh, lordship. They recognize that he is sovereign in overall things. So there's been this reset And this is where we pick up in verse 21 of Genesis 8. It says, And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, this is where he makes a promise, I'll never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. Now, just a note here. He didn't say, before the flood, everything they did was evil, and now everyone is perfect. <laughs> I mean, this is like present tense, God is saying. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. So, so sin hasn't been wiped away. Sin hasn't been taken care of yet. right? It's just been another reset, another opportunity to try again. He says, I will never again destroy all living things. Why? Because of God's grace. Did he want to do that? No. Did he need to do that? Yes. It's not about his anger and hatred. It's about his love and his compassion and his grace. Verse 22, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So he is continuing to to, uh, provide for the world, for the world that humanity is going to live in, that Noah's family is going to go out into. Okay, this is what's going on. So, So God's done this hard reset at this moment, all the violence and wickedness and everything is clear in that moment. And now the beginning of Genesis 9. 
God gives Noah some instructions. See if you hear an echo in some of these instructions, okay? Beginning of verse 1, Genesis 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground and the fish in the sea, they will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. So up to that point, they were vegetarians. Now they are meat eaters. And then he said, verse 4, and this is for all you who eat rare steak, but you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. But, but we're in the New Testament. We're in a new covenant now, so we're, you're good. Okay? And this he says, and I will require, the, this is where it gets really serious, okay? I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. I mean, you know, Cain and Abel, and then that goes on, and there's a guy named uh, Lamech, and then there's, and it means there's murders happening. I'll require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. Anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If, a human, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Verse 7, now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. You see the echo there of some of the commands? There's a little bit more though. He's added on. So chapter 9 starts with a lot of things found in chapter 1 of Genesis. God's filled the earth. He says to be fruitful, says to multiply. So what's the difference between Genesis 1 and Genesis 9? The difference is Genesis 3, when sin entered the picture. The difference is Genesis 3. Because remember, it says, now our hearts are bent towards evil. Now from, from every offspring forward, we, are, we have sin in us. And so what needs to happen then is God sets up additional rules. And listen, this is important. I, I see this. I see this start to play out. And you see this go as you start to read into the other books of the Old Testament. God has to set up additional rules, more parameters around us. And, and notice here the additional commands. What do they all center around? Blood, life, and death. You see the gospel in that? You see the necessity of blood that's going to become important in how we deal with sin. And the reason that all this happens, the reason these new commands are here, is because God wants to make it very clear what the consequences will be because he knows that we are bent towards evil. We have sin within us. He wants us to know so that we don't claim ignorance and we don't claim circumstances sometimes for some of the bonehead decisions that we make. I mean, Adam, what happened? Why did this happen? What did Adam do? Blame game. He said, that woman you gave me. So it's not on him. It's either on her or it's on you, God. Eve, what happened? That snake that you put in the garden. I mean, blame game. So like, oh, circumstances. This wasn't my fault. Oh, I didn't know. And this goes on. And, and just to drill down on that just a little bit more in case, in case you have a hard time like applying this sometimes. I don't know if you do, but... Friends, we claim ignorance and we most definitely claim circumstances 
for our sinful actions all the time. We blame others. We blame the way other people have responded or not responded or acted towards us or treated us or what they said or what they wrote or what they texted or what they didn't do or whatever's going on or the boss or the employees or whatever. We blame it on them and then we say, that's why I lost my temper. That's why I lost my cool. That's why I, sh-, you know, like whatever the, the response was, we blame circumstances and we blame the, I didn't know, all the time. And I just need to say this in case, like, but circumstances and ignorance are not the reason that we find ourselves sometimes naked and ashamed and hiding and blaming, because that had been the MO prior. That's not the reason. Whenever we go, why is all this happening? You know, why is earth filled with sin? What's, why, is, why is everything? It's not because we don't know any better, it's not because of a snake, it's because of what's inside of us. Okay? Sin. Sin is the source of our brokenness. It's the source of our frustration. And, it, and here's where the gospel is seen in Genesis because it can all be changed and transformed by Jesus. He is the only one. The ark did not bring eternal salvation to Noah and his family, it just brought salvation in the circumstance. To Noah and his family. So this Jesus comes along, and the need, the, the gospel here is found in Jesus. And what happens is finally, with Jesus on this side of the story, we're finally set free of this cycle because the cycle just it's continuing. Garden before before the flood i mean there's there's story after story after story of this cycle of sin a cycle of sin that just cannot be taken care of and there's a reset all this and what jesus does is he comes and he breaks this cycle of sin he breaks this cycle of death that we just cannot evade on our own we can't so now here think about this for a minute I mean, if, you're, if you ever want to like look backwards and look at you being you today, where you are, and your parents and your grandparents, your great God didn't save Noah just to save Noah. He saved Noah to save you and me. He saved Noah to set in motion the lineage of Christ. He saved Noah to bring salvation to all, not just Noah and his family in that one moment, but salvation to all humanity. Every single person made in his image. That's why God set this in motion. Why? Because of his great grace. Not because of his anger. Because of his grace. Because of his compassion. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we hear this. There is salvation in no one else. There's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's Jesus. Jesus is the hope of salvation, right? The hope of the world. And we have been shown the same favor that God showed Noah, that same grace, that tremendous grace. It's been shown to us now, not through an ark, but through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's taken our sin, that sin that we've all had, since, since we were born, he has taken it upon himself. And so Noah, 
And this is where it gets very, very practical for us, okay? This is where I want you to just kind of go, all right, okay, I'm with you. You and I now, see, we have, you could say a responsibility. I would say a mission. Like we have a mission. We have a role. Noah, see, he received the grace of God, and then what did he do? Did, did he just get on the boat by himself? No, he brought his family. He brought animals. Like he, he was, so Noah receives the grace of God, and now Noah becomes a channel of God's grace to other people. You see that? Okay, so Noah isn't just for him, he's also for others. And so I would say the practicality of this is this is where we need to think about what our mission is. Like we go, okay, God, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you, you've forgiven me. Thank you that I live in your grace and I don't live in your judgment. Thank you for that. Thank you that I don't have to be separated from you. Now, am I just going to hang there or am I also going to be a channel of that grace? This is the practicality of the gospel in Genesis. Genesis is alive to us it's not just a story of a guy in a boat and a flood, right? He was a channel of God's grace. Are you a channel of God's grace? Follower of Jesus, are you a channel of God's grace? We say here we're following Jesus for our community, and that's what we mean. Like, it's the same thing. Like, we, we want to, here's what I would say um, to you. We need to understand that like Noah, God's saving us was not to just save us, like just as an individual, but for us to be a channel of grace, a channel of salvation to a lot of other people. So the important question to ask yourself is, do I view myself as a channel of God's grace? And if, if you're not sure, then, then go back one step and go, have I received that grace of God that's found through Jesus Christ? Have I given myself to him? Have I, have I confessed my sin? Have I, have I gone before him and said, God, I don't, I've messed up and, I, and I've been running from you, but you know what? Now I'm going to run to you. And I, I want to do what your word says. I want to walk closely with you. Like I want, to, I, I want this, and, and I know that on my own, I'm never, it's just a cycle of sin. I'm just going to keep messing up. But now I'm gonna, I see that Jesus is the way, so I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, God, I give myself to you. I accept the life that Jesus has given for me so that I may have it now. He's taken my sin upon him so now I can live the kind of life I was designed to live. Okay, that's the first step. And if you understand that grace, you live in that grace, then the next question is, am I a channel of that same grace? Because this is what Noah did. Noah, I mean, imagine if Noah had said this. Imagine if Noah had said, all right, God, I, something's going to happen that's never happened before. What does that mean? I don't know. So, and now you're telling me to build this, like, crazy boat? Like, I don't, you know, I just want to walk closely with you. I don't want to do all that. I just want to walk closely with you, and I went, when I mess up, I just want to confess it to you, and I just you know, want to stand. I don't, I don't want to build a boat. I don't want to spend a year on a boat with my family. Because we all saw what happened on the other side of that, right? So Noah, what did he do? He followed God's leading. He built the boat. He was a channel of God's grace for others. And so do you view yourself as a channel of God's grace?
And I say this with, and, and I, I was, you know, I work many weeks, many weeks ahead in messages, and then I come back to it like the week of. So like tomorrow I'll start working, I'll come back to something I wrote a while back, and, and often God will kind of change things, just, you know, hey, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do. And even up to this morning, I was just thinking about this, and I was just like, Lord, how do you want this to, where is this? I was kind of, I was kind of stuck. And then I just, I, I really just felt, I won't say I heard, but I felt like something that I'm sure I've shared with y'all before. I know I've shared with you before. But the deep, deep desire that I have for you, Porch Community, I mean, it's real. For those who are connected to us, for those who will be connected to us, is that we don't just receive God's grace through Jesus Christ. His great, wonderful grace, thank you, Lord, but that we share that grace. Right? That we're not just... We talked about this months ago, back in the fall, that we're not just a physical church, we're not just a kirk, but we're an ecclesia, like we are the living embodiment of Jesus Christ wherever we are. That's, that's being a channel of, the God, of God's grace. That we're not just consumers, but we're contributors. Because I mean, even as wonderful as that description of Noah and his relationship with God was prior to building the boat, he was, he was being a consumer, but then when he starts building that boat, guess what? He's now a contributor. He's a contributor to the grace of God. And this is what we want. This is, what, this is my deep, deep desire in, in being able to lead a church or be part of a church, to be part of a community of faith, is that we would make sure that we are now a channel of the grace that we are living into, that we so desperately need. I mean, apart from it, we're just on that wheel. We're on that cycle. And so when someone says or wonders, you know, like, what is the church doing? How is the church responding? I mean, my genuine, genuine response to that is, is that wherever you have been, follower of Jesus, living in the grace of God, that deep, deep, passionate grace, wherever you are, whenever you are, whatever you are doing is what the church is doing. Being a channel of the grace of God. remember at the, at the beginning I said you know what I think is the most amazing thing about this story it's not um, the ark it's not the flood it's not getting the animals on there to me the most amazing part of this story is that, is that God has this deep deep love for us and this divine purpose for us and I would say that that deep love and that divine purpose that mission for us is, is here for us as well to be a channel of the grace of God this is the gospel according to Genesis let's pray together God you have most certainly offered the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ and Lord I, I just say it again I repeat it for any who may not have heard it but that Lord we would accept that today. If there are any who have not, who have not made that step, who have, who have maybe right up to that line, but just have not yet stepped into the promise and the hope of, of redemption, of new life, God, that we would receive that. 
God, that we would fully accept that, that and that we would live in that kind of favor and that kind of blamelessness like your servant Noah. Not because we're perfect, but because you're perfect. Not because we are sinless, but because Christ is sinless. And now, God, by your grace, by your mercy, may we be a channel of your grace for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.